So I was beginning, when I knew I was going to be speaking this morning, I began to do some study, and I, I thought, well, I'll go in this direction here. And um, so I was, I was studying, and all of a sudden I just asked the Lord, I just said, Lord, what is it? If there is something that can hold your people back from experiencing revival and experiencing the move of God that is taking place, where, every, you know, where, where others seem to just be able to jump in and they're getting set free and they're getting delivered and their lives are transforming, they're getting healed in their body and all these things. But some people, are, they just feel like they're on the outside looking in and they just can't enter in. God, what is the one thing that could hold people back. And he spoke and he said, unforgiveness. And I said, well, I'm not going to speak on that. Because Thursday night, pastor spoke on praise and joy. And we all got excited and we were jumping. And we're like, yeah, I got joy. I want the joy of the Lord, my strength. I praise you, Lord. And I said, they're not going to like, they're going to turn their ears off if I get up and I speak about unforgiveness. Because we like to hold on to our unforgiveness. But if you listen today, if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today, I'm, you are going to find the benefits of forgiveness is going to so outweigh keeping a hold of the unforgiveness. And the Lord spoke to me and said, there's three areas that people hold unforgiveness in. Number one, towards others. You know, things happen that have been out of our control. And it could be a betrayal, sexual abuse, physical abuse, you know, it, it could be rejection, abandonment, something that somebody has said. And in this day and age that we live in right now, somebody that has maybe taken the life of a loved one. And we are holding unforgiveness towards people. And sometimes the closer those people are to us, the deeper the hurt is. The other area that we hold unforgiveness in is towards ourselves. Things that we did or maybe we didn't do. Things that we said or maybe we shouldn't have said. And we can't let it go. And it's become a regret and a shame in our life. And then the other area that we hold unforgiveness is, is towards God. Now, as Christians, we go, oh, no, not God. I love God. But I have found that, you know, sometimes when we're believing God for a miracle, and we have been praying and declaring, and we have been on our face, and the tears have flowed, and we've prayed over a situation, and it's just seemed that that prayer did not get answered. That if we allow that thing to keep hold of us, it can build into an unforgiveness even towards God. See, unforgiveness is birthed in how we think about people. It's how we think about ourselves. It's how we think about God. It's how we think about situations. And in all these situations, there's opportunity to allow the anger and the hurt to consume our lives. And it's there to cripple, it's there to devour, it's there to take away our future, it's there to take away our family. Unforgiveness will rob you of that, uh, of, of relationships. It robs you of job situations. It robs you of your finances. It will rob you of your eternal salvation. It will rob you of your health. See, we have prayer lines, and we believe God, and, we, you know, we, we have you come up, and there's times where we've laid hands, and, and it just seems that everybody else gets healed but you. And sometimes it's called a walk of faith. 
Sometimes we have to wait for that thing to manifest in our lives. And, and, it's, and it's a process that we walk through. But sometimes it could just be that it's being held back. Your breakthrough is being held back. Your healing is being held back because you're holding unforgiveness. And I can prove it to you medically. Because I'm a teacher by heart. And once I started, I, I, I started to see this, I started to do a little research on my own. And let me give you uh, some research here. Unforgiveness is classified in medical books as a disease. According to Dr. Stephen Stanford, Chief of Surgery at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, refusing to forgive makes people sick and keeps them that way. With that in mind, forgiveness therapy is now being used to help treat diseases such as cancer. See, the world is catching on what the Word of God has been saying forever. And it goes on to say, it's important to treat emotional wounds or disorders because they really can hinder someone's reactions to the treatments, even someone's willingness to pursue treatment, uh, Stanford explains. Of all cancer patients, 61% have forgiveness issues. And of those, more than half are severe, according to research. Harboring these negative emotions, this anger and hatred, creates a state of chronic anxiety. And chronic anxiety produces excess adrenaline and cortisol, which depletes the production of natural killer cells, which is your body's foot soldier in the fight against cancer. The world is understanding what unforgiveness does in your body. Let me tell you a couple other things that unforgiveness can cause medically. It causes high blood pressure, depression, anxiety issues, major psychiatric disorders, higher mortality rate, higher risk of heart attack, higher cholesterol levels, insomnia, and it lowers your immune system. So we can pray for you till the cows come home, as they say. But you need to take the steps now to say, God, if there's any area in my life of unforgiveness that I am holding, that is hindering in my, my physical body, my mental capacity, if there's any area, God, I don't want this held back any longer. And I'm going to tell you how you can let that go in just a moment. I'm going to read scripture verse that we all know the story, but I'm going to read it anyways. Mark 2, starting in verse 2, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now picture this. The roof is now destroyed. This, this man is being lowered on a cot. He's a paralytic man. And the first thing that Jesus says to you is, son, your sins are forgiven you. 
And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus puts more emphasis on forgiveness than he does on the physical. See, we need to get to the root and deal with what is holding us back. We need to move past our feelings and into freedom. And we need to, be able, we need to start focusing on our future instead of on the past. See, forgiveness could be the very key that unlocks the things that you've been believing God for. See, I want to bring you hope today that can move you past the situation that you've been in and move you out of pain and into your future, into your destiny. Because see, God's not asking you to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Because how many of you know we did not deserve to be forgiven? And yet that's what our Savior did for us. And he's, not, he's also not asking you to do something that he's not willing to help you to do. Because on our own, we are way too emotional and we are way too weak. And if we are left, you know, on our own, the struggle is too real with our own thoughts. See, the Bible uh, describes the word forgive in Greek as this, to remit a debt or release, to leave something or someone alone, to allow an action, to leave, to send away, to desert or abandon. See, we need to abandon some of the thoughts that we have today. And it's important that we allow the word of God to renew our minds because our minds and our emotions left on their own will never see a reason to forgive. Because we are really good at reasoning unforgiveness. We are not good on reasoning on how to forgive. We don't, uh, we don't have to feel like forgiving, but see, I would rather please God and obey the word of God than to please my own flesh. Because see, in eternity, you're not gonna stand in front of the people that hurt you, but you will stand before God. And I cannot live, and you cannot live the rest of your life bound in an emotional trap. Now, 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11 out of the Amplified says this. For the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not. See, it doesn't matter. If, you know, I, I, Pastor and I, we went through a situation uh, several years ago, and it really knocked the wind out of our sails. It really hurt. I didn't think I could get that hurt. I got hurt. And as your pastor, my prayer during that time before God was, Lord, kill him. Take him out. 
God, they're going to hell anyways. Take them now so they don't take other people with them. That's only good. Right, right, Lord? Take them, take them now. And then I had to back up a few moments, a few steps. I said, all right, I know you're not going to kill them because you love them for some odd reason. <laughs> Keep it real. So I know you're not going to do that. But Lord God, you sent the 10 plagues on Egypt. You can send 10 plagues on them. I know you can. Boils, frogs, frogs, God. Send frogs, locusts, ju whatever you want to do. Lord, I'll leave that up to you to decide how you're going to hurt them. And I really, guys, I, we laugh. I'm serious. I was like, God, this isn't right. This hurts too much. And I, I know we're supposed to forgive. And I know especially as pastors, I'm, we're supposed to lead the way. But no, God. I would come in to church and I would sit in the front row and I would put a smile on my face. The only reason I was smiling because I was gritting my teeth. And I was like, Lord, I tell you what. Somebody wants to come up and smile at me. I'm I, one morning, I drove, we drove to church, and I looked at your pastor, and I said, I am telling you right now, and I said just like this, I'm telling you right now, I don't care who wants to come up to me and smile. I don't care if I'm the senior pastor here. I am not putting a smile on my face. No way. Not going to happen today. I'm just telling you right now so that you don't have to have a talk with me later. <laughs> <laughs> the first person I got out of the car, and I was ready. I was ready. I felt good. I felt so good that this was the day. I'm going to show you all forgiveness. No. And first person I saw was Pastor Rhoda. Yeah, I know. That was gone. And she was like, Pastor Robin. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. It's going to be such a great day. I was like, crap. How do you not smile back at that? So I had to learn through this time. I said, God, your word says if I want to enjoy life, if I want good days, whether I can see it right now or not, I must keep my tongue free from evil and my lips from speaking guile, treachery, or deceit. And it goes on to say, you must turn away from wickedness and do what is right. You must search for peace with God, with self, with others, and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. So my question to you this morning is what is peace worth to you? Is it worth letting go of pain and anger and turmoil so that you can have peace and joy and health? Would you rather be right or do right? Now, as I was putting this message together, and I literally wrote that down on my notes, would you rather be right or do right? And pastor came in and ticked me off about a situation. And I literally said, I I'd rather be right because we all know I am right. 
So if you are right, then you just be right, right? I mean, come on. And I had to go, no, wait a second. I got to do right. Because that is more important for my future, for my peace of mind, for my joy, for my destiny, for, for me, for moving from this situation and moving forward. See, I have two family members or uh, cousins, and both of them were sexually abused as children, small children. It was horrific, horrendous. The mother knew it was going on. It was being done by the stepfather. The mother knew it was going on and did nothing. And this, uh, the, the tragedy of, you know, uh, uh, of it unfolding and watching them go from that on through life. But one of them decided that they could not live in that place of pain any longer. That they had to in, begin to enjoy their life. So they began to just let go of those things of the past. They got married, got children of their own, and started a very successful business of their own. The other one decided they weren't going to let go. And this one grew up to have multiple sexual partners, drugs and alcohol. They have no family. They live their life to be on Facebook to debate the fact that they believe that there is no God. And they refuse to see that forgiveness has bound them to that time and that place of their life, that they have to live that hell over and over and over and over every day of their life, even though it happened 30 years ago, they continue to live the same emotional hurt because they've decided that it is easier for them to hold on to this unforgiveness than to let it go. They don't understand that forgiveness does not release the abuser from the wrong, but it releases you from the pain and the abuse. There's a story that was huge in Europe, and a woman named Eva Kor, she was a Holocaust survivor, and she had suffered unthinkable torture and experiments as a child in the concentration camps of Auschwitz. And in 1995, she returned to the camp and she read this statement in the very place that she lost her innocence and she lost her family. And she read this aloud. She said, I, Eva Moses Kor, a twin who survived as a child of Joseph Mengele's experiments at Auschwitz 50 years ago, hereby give amnesty to all Nazi who participated directly or indirectly in the murder of my family and the millions of others. She states, forgiveness is nothing more and nothing less than an act of self-healing and an act of self-empowerment. And, and I immediately felt the burden of pain was lifted from my shoulders, that I was no longer a victim of Auschwitz, that I was no longer a prisoner of my tragic past, that I was finally free. She says, I call forgiveness the modern miracle medicine. You don't have to belong to an HMO. There is no copay, therefore everybody can afford it. There are no side effects. And if you don't like the way you feel without the pain of the past, you can always go and take your pain back. Corey Ten Boom, many of you heard, also a Holocaust survivor. And she went on in years to speak the message of forgiveness. 
And she would go into churches and into meetings, and she would talk about the power of forgiveness. And one night, as she closed, closed down the meeting and everybody got up and they were leaving, a gentleman was making his way through up to the front. She immediately recognized him as the very man who tortured her, killed her family. She was shocked he was coming up. He came up and he looked at her and he said, I want you to know that I'm a Christian, that I gave my life to Jesus. And I want you to know that I was involved back then of killing Jews. Now she's getting ticked off because she said, in her, in her mind, she's like, you don't recognize who I am. You tortured me. You killed my family. You did this to me. And now you stand in front of me talking to me like, I, like you don't even know me. And all this is going on in her mind. And he said to her, he said, I just want you to know, as he extended his hand out to her, that I'm sorry for what took place and my part that I played in that moment of time. She said, there I stood, and in a brief second, everything that I taught about forgiveness was twirling and swirling in my brain. She said, do I extend my hand and, and, and accept his apology, or the fact that he doesn't even know who I am just adds to the burden, and I'm not letting it go. And she said she stood there, and in that moment, she extended out her hand, and she said, I forgive you. There's also a woman, maybe some of you have ever heard of her name, Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer, you know her testimony. Sexually abused by her father for years. And she had to learn by faith, walking it out on how to forgive and how to let go of the pain. And she's doing what she's doing today because she allowed that forgiveness to rise on the inside of her, to let it go so that she could embrace her future. Instead of always living in the past, she wanted to have a future. She wanted to be used by God. So she had to learn how to forgive. There's another woman, some of you might have heard her name, her name is Nicole Crank. Nicole Crank was sexually abused as a child. She was raped as a preteen. She was an unwed mother at 17. She married a man who was a doctor and he ended up turning to drugs and very hard drugs. And uh, couldn't be a doctor anymore because of it. And uh, he would beat her up. He beat her up so bad one time that he broke her back and had threatened to kill her on many different occasions with a gun. But Nicole over time decided that she could either live in that pain, stay in that situation, allow all those things to just rule her life, rule her emotions, to let that play her as the victim instead of the victor. But she decided that she would rather have a future. So she forgave those people that were in her past. She forgave them and let them go. Today, she pastors with her new husband and her children that are in full-time ministry with her. They pastor one of the fastest growing churches in America. She just was at the White House for dinner. She gets invited there several times. She speaks all over the world and she's an author. 
And it's all because she decided to embrace her future instead of embracing unforgiveness. And can I throw this little tidbit in that I believe that because I allowed God in the situation that I was going through, that I, said to, that I said to God, I don't want to live in this moment of time forever. I do not want to be stuck at Groundhog Day, the movie. I don't want to relive this day over and over and over again. I want a future. I want destiny. And because I believe that I was able to do that with the help of the Holy Spirit, that God began to open up doors. To this day, Nicole Crank and I are friends. We text each other. We write each other. She's invited me to her church. Thousands of women that were there to sit on her panel to speak. I've done that several times. We just talked just the other day. This is what God does when you decide you'd rather have a future and a hope than live in unforgiveness. See, forgiveness means to drop it and let it go. Get the offense off your mind and out of your mouth. Let me give you quickly, I'm going to give you six attitudes that reveal if you're holding unforgiveness. Because you could be sitting here today and say, well, Pastor Ron, no, I let it go. I just, I, you know, I let it go. Well, let's see if you did. Number one, unforgiveness always keeps score of our good deeds and others' sins. We compare usually keeping us at a different standard than others. See, Peter wanted to keep score. And in Matthew 18, 21, he says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? He wanted to keep score. I can keep score seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490, for those of you that don't want to do the math, 490 times in a day. We got to stop keeping score of offenses. Number two, unforgiveness boasts of its good behavior. Judgment always says, you're bad and I'm good. And Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, number three, unforgiveness complains. We get the martyr syndrome. You know, well, you know, we like to say, well, you know, I, I can't have that in life because, you know, where I came from, you know, what happened to me. It's a martyr syndrome. And if you find yourself complaining frequently about a specific person, there's a good possibility that you have some unforgiveness in your heart towards them. Number four, unforgiveness alienates, divides, and separates. We tend to pull others to our side. You know, you got to hear what happened because, you know, right, right, I'm right, right? You get it? I'm right? Because you would have done the same thing, right? Right? We want people to come on our side. Number five, unforgiveness continues to bring up the offenses. We find excuses to talk about what people have done to us, and not in the good testimony kind. See, if you've gone through something, I can stand up here and tell you what I have gone through, and I can tell you, and I can talk about it, and I can tell you the whole entire story because I'm on the other side of it. It's become a testimony of what God can do when it comes to forgiveness. But if you don't want forgiveness, and all you want to do is just talk about them, then there's a, there's a heart issue there. Number six, unforgiveness resents the blessings enjoyed by the offender. 
We get so consumed watching them enjoy their life that we stop living our life. Get off of Facebook. Get, if, if you're the type, listen, when this thing broke out, this, this thing that we had walked through, I was actually on a little mini trip um, with, with, with a friend of mine, and we were on this cruise ship. And so one day she's like, hey, let's go in the computer room, and, you know, I wanted to check some things. I'm like, yeah, I'll check Facebook, you know. Actually, I wanted to just write, you know, hey, having a good time, you know, and, and uh, see what's happening back at home. And I couldn't get on Facebook. I was trying. I'm like, I know my, I know my sign-in, and I'm trying to try and try Come to find out, my family changed my password here because they're like, don't get on Facebook. No, no, no. It's just going to stir all kinds of emotions. You're going to be upset. You're gonna... Some of you need to go to somebody else and say, would you change my password? And then don't tell me what it is because you're stalking people. Well, did you see that girl? She took my man. Look at her out there. She's like, hey, look at what I'm doing. She's trying to live her good life, and I'm over here all alone. Stop stalking. Because she's not living the good life anyway. She's stuck with the guy that you just, you know, get, bleh, get rid of him. She'll be stalking on Facebook soon, too, because he's going to leave her. So how do you forgive? Let's go through this, and then we're going to pray at the end. We're going to be quick, so listen. How do you forgive? Number one, desire. Desire motivates us to go through whatever we need to go through in order to reach our goal. Desire to want to be in God's will. Desire to live in peace. Desire to live in joy, to live in freedom. You need to desire freedom more than vengeance. Because vengeance might not ever come to the person who has hurt you. My people that, that hurt me, they're still living and breathing. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You got to desire your freedom more. Number two, you got to decide. You got to make a quality decision, not an emotional decision, but a quality decision to be determined to walk in freedom. You got to decide it today. This is the day I am letting it go. Number three, depend. You need to depend on the Holy Spirit to help you do the quality decision that you just made. See, willpower alone won't work. We need divine strength. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. Self-reliance is not going to cut it. You need the Holy Spirit. Number four, you got to pray for your enemies. I know it's a tough one to swallow. But I want to read out the message version of the Bible, Matthew 43. And I want you to listen, and this is what it says. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. But I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. Because we waste a whole lot of energy with other things. 
but energy is a prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives, the, he gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? And any, anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Well, yeah, sometimes, right? <laughs> like, hey, I got up this morning. You know, that's one for me. But he says any uh, run of the mill center does that. And a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Now listen, that does not mean to be a doormat. That does not mean that you, that you can't confront people with situations. That doesn't mean you have to go hang out with them and be their buddies. Forgiving our enemies has to do with our heart attitude toward them and how we treat them. Number five, keep your emotions in check. Learn to manage them with the word of God. And if we, if, if, if we allow our emotions to control us, you're allowing Satan to control over you. See, we can't wait to feel right in order to do right. We can't control what other people do, but we can control how we respond to what has happened to us. It's an act of faith that will reap major benefits in your life.